0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real-life rescues to you firsthand from those involved. I'm your host today, Grant, and with me I got Chris Chaccio. He's uh, from Comac Fire Department in Long Island, New York. Welcome, Chris.
1: Thanks for having me, Grant.
0: Yeah, man. Um, tell us a little bit about you and your fire service career to get us started. Uh,
1: been in my fire department for 13 years. It's an all volunteer department. Um, Career-wise, I'm a police officer, so strictly a volunteer, as is most departments on the island where I'm from. Um, that's about it. I'm an assistant chief in COMAC right now. I went through the ranks of uh, lieutenant and captain in uh, our truck company, and I've been assistant chief for a little over a year and a half.
0: Um, so your volunteers, do they do you guys like man the station at intervals, or when you get a call, do you guys go
1: up to the station? How's that work? Yeah, it's basically when uh, we have a call, guys go up to the station. We don't do any type of live-in program, nothing like that. Um, We do have some of our companies run dedicated duty crews overnight uh, between like 11 p.m. and 5 a.m. Well, some guys will elect to stay in the firehouse, but it's usually a strictly uh, respond from home response.
0: And then what kind of response are you guys getting on a regular house fire? I know that might vary based on time of day, but what are you usually getting rig wise and what kind of manpower are you getting? And maybe what, what the time delay is between rigs. I know that will vary depending on where it's at, but what's about average for you guys?
1: Right. So, um, like you said, with the volunteer department, you know, manpower can vary throughout the day and the day of the week. Uh, we have four different stations. We run, uh, one ladder, uh, one one uh, towel ladder, one stick. About six engines, um, separated amongst the four stations. Um, so really, automatic fire alarm during the day. Uh, we usually activate two of our companies to respond, and maybe um, a, a you know additional ladder just uh, for commercials. If it's uh, any kind of structure fire, anything like that that sounds uh, legitimate, all the companies going to be activated. Uh, and then it's, you know, it's, uh, it varies from that, that point, you know, we could have two engines respond to a call, you know, we could have four or five engines respond. You know, it really varies on uh the time of day and, uh, you know, who comes out.
0: And now what's your role or response look like as a chief officer?
1: Um, so I'm responding in my own, uh, chief's truck and, um, Basically, we have a role if I'm the chief in charge and I'm I'm staying at the OIC. Um, I have three chiefs above me, so usually one of them will respond as well, and I'll kind of act as uh, eyes and ears for them. Um, More so the case if we have, like, a working fire or something like that, I'll go interior and kind of, you know, give updates back to the OIC. Um, Yeah.
0: Nice. Now that we painted a good picture, why don't you take us to April 22nd, 2022?
1: Sure. It's About 3.19 in the morning, this alarm came over. We had actually just run two automatic alarms within the past hour of this, um, which I responded to the last one. So uh, we actually our one of our engine companies had a duty crew on that night. So they had been responded to the past two alarms as well. Um, So just kind of start with that kind of a talking point. It's, you know, I was back in bed already at home, but, you know, you're never really fully asleep. Um, so this call came in about 45 minutes after this fire alarm that I responded on. So I was kind of half awake already, which I think kind of helped the response a little bit. Um, yeah, we got activated for a, uh, it's actually kind of a funny story or crazy story. It was, um, the neighbor across the street's ring camera went off and, and, uh, basically the wife's phone vibrated on her, uh, on her table next to her bed. She noticed it was a, a ring camera notification. She's like, oh, that's weird. It's, you know, 3.30 in the morning. You know, she checks it out and has video, live video of the house across the street on fire with smoke going out of it. So she woke up her husband. You know, he ran outside to confirm it, and then they called 911.
0: Well, I haven't heard of the ring activation before. That's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely interesting. So, um, you know, they call 911. Uh, we get activated as a... Uh, you know, it was a structure fire. The neighbors immediately told the dispatcher that they think there was two elderly um, occupants inside. So we got that upon initial activation as well. Uh, PD arrived before us, two sector cars. Uh, they got up uh, on the front lawn. The neighbor kind of grabbed them. They actually saw the female occupant um, in the one-two corner bedroom window. So it was a, it was a high ranch. Um, you know, wood frame, high ranch, uh, single family. So um, they actually had seen her in the window when they arrived and the neighbor had run across the street to try to grab an A-frame ladder to get her out. Because, you know, you're a high ranch, you know, the, the window sills a good seven feet off the ground. They had uh, some trouble getting to her. So then, um, you know, they were kind of keeping her at the window. They are doing a really good job of that. Uh, we had uh, one of our farmmen. Uh, respond to the scene direct because he lived across the street. Uh, he actually pulled up right in front of me uh he you know got over the radio that he had and and notified us he had a working fire he had heavy fire at the back and uh basically almost threw out uh, and then I pulled up right behind him so I pulled up i actually uh threw him my halogen told him to go force the front door. I geared up while he did that um I had full SCBA, you know, full gear, full SCBA in the back of my truck. So I threw everything on. I uh, met him at the front door when he was forcing it. PD was still doing a phenomenal job of just keeping her at that window. Um, she was, you know, she was uh, probably in her late 70s, little heavy set. So they're having, you know, with the high windowsill, they're having a difficult time getting her, getting her out of a double hung. Um, so I made my way into the front door. Uh, There's heavy fire conditions in the kitchen. Basically, to the left of the house was all the um, bedrooms and bathrooms. To so the right of the house was kind of all the living space. You have kitchen, family room, den, kind of like an open concept kind of thing. So, you know, to the right of the house, mostly involved kitchen, living room, family was all involved. The hallway was starting to come involved. Um, you know, high ranch, I made my way to the top of the stairs, I ducked to the left towards the bedrooms. I knew she was in that one-two corner. Um, and started crawling down the hallway, uh, making my way to that bedroom. Uh, immediately, once I got into that hallway, I had noticed that um, this hoarding conditions. They were kind of basically hoarders. So I was crawling over a lot of stuff in that hallway. Uh, I finally made it to their bedroom. Um, and it was kind of the same situation. You basically had stuff piled up on the floor almost to like the level of their bed. So at this point, you know, basically got to the top of the stairs, the visibility is probably on the, I had to be on, you know, on the carpet. It was probably a good half a foot to a foot of visibility in front of me. Um, so I made my way to their bedroom. I finally made their bedroom and basically just swimming through stuff. And I could actually see the silhouette of the window that they were trying to pull her through with her in it. So I made my way behind her, you know, crawled over all the stuff on the floor, onto the bed, to the windowsill. Um, and at that point, they basically had maybe a quarter to a half of her body actually on that windowsill. It's kind of like starting, you know, getting to that, that uh, pendulum point and just kind of getting her body out the window. So I got behind her, gave a little, you know, pushed and basically just kind of squatted up and stood up to kind of push her body out, up and out of that window. Um, uh, and you know, she went out into the arms of the, uh, police officers. And I think we may have had one other, uh, there that responded directly to the scene that were all at the window, trying to get her out, I pushed her out of the window. Um, you know, we had reports of two occupants, you know, husband and wife. So I, uh, I went back into the room. I did a quick search of that bedroom, um, found nothing. Tried to make my way back into the hallway at this point. The hallway was pretty much, uh, you know, basically mostly involved and looking into the bedroom. I pretty much, with the hoarding conditions, I pretty much uh, decided that, you know, it, the, the probability of making through a hallway to another bedroom probably wasn't an option. So I uh, I made my way back to that window, um, dumped out of that front, you know, one-two corner uh, window that we had, that had pushed her out originally um, and actually started to you know uh, make a 360 of the building, see if there was anything other, any other you know, egress points that were viable. At, when I dumped out of the window, there was one of our firemen there who was in um, just civilian clothes, no gear. He had responded to the scene in his own car. Um, he came with me around the corner of the house. We made our way to basically the, the two, three corner and on the three side, we were kind of presented with the same thing. The husband was at the back window, sticking his head out the window, calling for help. Um, basically, brown, billowing smoke behind them um, under decent pressure. So we kind of did the same thing. You know, it's a high windowsill once again. You know, it wasn't really, it wasn't easily accessible without a ladder. So we had basically just grabbed onto his arms, keeping him at that window, trying to get him to. to Pendulum over that windowsill, but um, you know he was he was older. Once again, he kept saying that he you know I can't I can't. I had a my hip my hip. He had a hip replacement, uh, and he just couldn't make it over that sill. So I immediately radioed to you know my chief in charge who had command. I called for a ladder to the rear. Uh, at that point, our truck company um, had just arrived on scene, heard my transmission, started to make their way to the rear of the house. We got one more guy um, on the victim, and we basically just did that. We kept pulling. We are you know, talking him through it, talking him trying to get him up onto that sill, and we were eventually able to pendulum him out. You know, he fell a couple feet out of the window into mine and uh, another fireman's arms, lowered him to the ground. Um, And then me and another guy picked him up. You know, we kind of had him in a sitting position on the floor. We picked him up from there and brought him around to EMS in the front.
0: Nice. Cool story on, uh, on recognizing those hoarder conditions and, and coming out and then doing that three hundred and sixty. that probably definitely, uh, saved him and being able to recognize where he was at. Thank goodness. He was at the window. Um, what, uh, so talking, talking victims through on this one and window lists, why don't you talk us through that? Is that something you guys practice or anything like that? Yeah,
1: we practice it a lot. Actually. We have, we're actually very fortunate enough to have a pretty um, aggressive training program. We have our own live fire training facility. We have a whole training committee of guys that that are just a a group of like minded individuals that are um, very heavy into training and practicing the basics and doing the best that they can to really um, instill the same ideals onto the rest of the membership. So we do a lot of live fire training. We do a lot of, like i said basics you know hose handling good search techniques do a lot of veis so uh you know we i'm lucky enough to be a member of a department where they have no problem sending guys to and out in indy a couple of times a year so uh we definitely have a very aggressive uh training and search culture within my department i'd say
0: yeah that's important to note because i know not all areas uh are able to do that not all areas have a uh, young and aggressive culture. Uh, sometimes it's just enough to get bodies on the rigs for, for some volunteers. Um, that's cool. Do you know, timing-wise, what this what this took to get the victims out?
1: So the alarm was activated at 319. I arrived at 324. The first victim was out of the window at 329. The second, second victim
0: was out of the window at 3.31. Thanks. Super quick. And just another illustration that even with uh, a staggered response and limited resources uh, with your department, that sometimes when we do search drills, we make them into a 20-minute or 30-minute evolution. And, dude, like from the alarm to second victim out it was like 11 minutes. So that's pretty cool. Any other takeaways that you had? I know, I know pre-show you said you've listened to the grab stuff and, and you've done a lot of search training and FDTN. Uh, what would you say to, uh, to your other firemen uh, that you learned or that was reinforced on this call?
1: It's basically just, like I said, practicing the basics and it all becomes muscle memory. Um, you know, when I was, you know, I was getting down the hallway, I made the bedroom, you know, you make a bedroom and first thing you think of, let me close that door. And I couldn't because of the hoarding conditions. They had stuff stacked up, you know, in that room where the door was just stuck open. Uh, like you said, you know, victim removal through a window is huge. You know, you you always think you're stronger than you are until you get a, you know, 175, 200 pound dummy in training and you actually try to lift it from a, from a dead squat. So, you know, just practicing those, those basics and, and, putting, you know, everyone thinks they're going to rise to the occasion when they're, when they're put in the situation. But, you know, we're, we're heavy into, we have a bunch of workout equipment in our garage, and we try to incorporate firefighting-oriented um, workouts, which I think helps huge. And, you know, it almost becomes second nature when you're making these maneuvers. Uh, and actually, kind of veer off a bit, just the talking point, uh, when I actually had thought to jump back into the hallway to continue a search, and I couldn't. I actually found out after the fire that uh, the bedroom door to the second victim's room was actually basically barricaded with stuff. And the only way into that bedroom was through a Jack and Jill bathroom that they had shared, which uh, I don't know if I honestly would have even recognized a door in that bathroom if I actually had dumped into the hallway, made it into that bathroom and even thought to go beyond that bathroom to make it into another another bedroom. So, uh just so I thought it was something interesting, something kind of weird and out of the norm that I would have maybe made it into that hallway and kind of been stuck looking for a door or found a door that I wouldn't be able to get open.
0: No, oh, that's an awesome point. Uh, one other question I wanted to ask you about: um, since you sound like you're a working chief, how do you leave your gear set up in the car? Because I see a lot of chiefs that got their helmet on top of their coat, on top of their boots, and. Uh, anybody that's put on gear knows that's not really the order you put stuff in. So tell us how you get your uh, buggy or your chief car set up.
1: So I might be a little different from the norm. I actually don't have a command box in the back of my truck. I basically I have a suburban where I have the third row down. I have a small box pushed to the back where I have my water can, my EMS gear, you know, clipboards, some random stuff, and then I have all just open bed in the back of my truck. So I keep my SCBA ready to go um, face down with the, the top handle facing me so I could rip it out of my car. Um, my helmet on top of that, my coat goes on top of that and then my boots go right next to it. So I've kind of worked out a comfortable, um, comfortable way of kind of putting all my things on in sequence. And then same thing. I keep my halogen, uh alongside my SCBA with one strap on it. So I can just flip that strap up and grab my halligan out. And yeah, I, I've, do my best. Uh, I've kind of done a couple dry runs when I first became chief to try to work out my gear the best I could. That I'm throwing it on in sequence, something that's comfortable and something accessible. I don't like taking my SCBA out of a, you know, out of a rack or out of a box. You know, I just to me logically it doesn't make sense. So I like to have it. You know, I have my one strap to keep it down in my trunk to make sure it's not a hazard God, there's an accident. But I just flip that one Velcro strap, strap off of it and it's on my back.
0: Very nice. I think uh, one class that's missing in the fire service as the uh, first arriving chief, Uh, because, man, you could talk about how to gear set up quickly, when the go, no-go is going to be, when you're actually going to stay out in command, when you're going to go make a line of sight rescue or whatnot, and uh, just some one-man techniques that I know we've been doing uh, and some can work would be cool. You guys should work on that, a little live fire class for first two chiefs. I'll come out there.
1: That's a great idea. I like it.
0: All right, bro. Well, Chris, I appreciate you sharing the story. Um, If you have a grab or assist, uh, alive or deceased, uh, we ask you to go to www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com. Take that short survey. That information is for us, by us. And if if we don't get that information um, and train on it, truthfully, guys are just making stuff up. And uh, I know I've learned a ton and it's reinforced a ton, the numbers that come out of that. If you want to share your story on the Grabs podcast, this is where we try to bring those stories to life because sometimes uh, numbers just don't give you the full story. Or if you don't like reading, uh, this is a pretty easy way to do that. So we encourage you to reach out to me, Justin McWilliams, Nick Ladine, get the story recorded, and uh, we try to keep it short so you can listen to it on the way to work or whatever. Um, And and until next time, thanks for listening.